Good morning, Hope Church. It's really good to be with you again this week. Let's pray as we start. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, we pray, would you speak to us today? Would you open our hearts? Would your voice resound in our ears and minds? Lord, we look for you. We look for your word today and we pray that you would soften our hearts and that you would inspire us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we do continue on our uh, theme of faith in action. This is part seven or section seven. And this week we're going to be looking at Joseph. Now we've covered quite a few characters over these sessions, and I hope you're beginning to see that there's a pattern in how their faith works. We'll look at that more next week. So today I want to look at the final character. I know there are more in the Bible, but I want to finish with Joseph um, because I think he's such a, a great character to finish with today. So if we turn to Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. It's interesting that so little is said about such a towering figure. One sentence in Hebrews 11. And that one sentence is his instructions about what to do with his bones. What a sentence to put in Hebrews 11. Where's the faith in that? Well, actually, these, were in, these instructions that he gave were an exercise of faith. We need to remember that God had made great promises and a covenant with Abraham and that the land that Abraham lived in, it would be his and his descendants. His descendants would become a great nation and settle in this land. This is a multi-generational promise that God has made. It cannot be fulfilled by one person in one time frame. It covers several generations. Each generation needed to act in faith to see this accomplished. By Joseph's time, Israel, who was previously named Jacob, had moved to Egypt, which is where he died. Joseph also comes to the end of his days, and yet he knew God would keep his promise. Yes, he would not see it, but he knew it would happen. And so in faith, he prepares for the Exodus. He knows 430 years later, God is going to free the people. And he gives these simple instructions. What faith? That's why he's in Hebrews chapter 11, because at the end of his days, he said, you know what? God's going to bring you out. And when he does, I want you to take me with you. What an amazing thing. So we turn now to Joseph. Last week, we looked at Isaac and Jacob. Jacob married two women who were sisters. Leah, his first wife by deception. By that, I mean that he intended to marry Rachel, but he ended up marrying Leah. Uh, Rachel was his second wife, sister to Leah, and she is the one it says he actually loved. Uh, I'm not going to go into that massive mess of, uh, of family relationships, but you can already see that here in Jacob's family, there's just some major, major issues. Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was born in the land of Haran, whilst Jacob lived with his uncle Laban. Laban was the uncle who cheated him repeatedly. We've already highlighted that Jacob's family was somewhat dysfunctional, and the story of Joseph 
picks up in Genesis 37. We're not going to read all of it. There are many chapters that cover this. I'd encourage you to take some time to read through. Joseph had 11 brothers, and it's very clear that his father singled him out as his favorite. Not only that, on top of all of this, his father uh, shows his favoritism of Joseph to his brothers by giving a special multicolored coat to his son Joseph. Joseph compounds this tension between his brothers by giving a bad report to his father about the fulfillment that the brothers have in the duties that they are given. It does seem that Joseph is either naive or oblivious to his brother's hatred towards him. Clearly, when he has two dreams that elevate him above his brothers, he doesn't have the sense to keep quiet about it. All of this brings things to a boiling point. And when given the opportunity, Joseph's brothers set out to kill him. Only Reuben, the firstborn, and Judah do not want to kill Joseph. But in the end, Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. Talk about family problems. Two sisters married to the same man, rivalry there with them and their children, favoritism by the father over one child that is very overt and seen, and that child then putting himself above the others through dreams that he had, and worse still, those brothers even contemplating killing him, but in the end selling him into slavery. I mean, talk about dysfunctionality. Here we have it in its heyday. At this point, Joseph was 17 years old. Now, let me make a point that I've made before. Family dysfunctionality and strife within family do not stop us from serving God. If your excuse in not serving God is because your family is dysfunctional or there are problems and relationships in your family, let me tell you, you can still fulfill the will of God in your generation. Joseph was 17 and Joseph was 17 when he had these dreams from God. Now, those dreams were the voice of God for Joseph. Uh, those dreams were God speaking to him. People often ask me how I hear God or how can they hear God more importantly. And in this case, it was uh, Joseph and he had two dreams. Both dreams had the same meaning. And the meaning was that Joseph would be elevated to an extreme position of authority and power. His brothers dismissed it, laughed it off, but his father understood that God was speaking. In Genesis 37, verse 10 to 11, we have this. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, this is Joseph, uh, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, your brothers, actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. We often miss God speaking because it seems so normal. It could be a dream or a thought. It could be a scripture that has a new light on it. It could be the same thing from many different sources saying the same thing. A feeling or a sense or a vision. These things pass through our experience, but often we do nothing with them. At best, they're written in a journal. At worst, they are forgotten. Now, it would be quite a number of years before Joseph remembers these dreams. Let me ask you this morning, what has God said to you? 
Perhaps you need to spend some time going through your journals, going through the notes that you've made in the past, and just reading through to refresh yourself. With Joseph, um, he was only reminded when he saw his brothers and everything happened, he was reminded of those dreams. What has God said to you? You know, he is a speaking God. One of the main differences between Christianity and all other faiths on the earth is that Christianity is a faith that believes that God is a speaking God. Why? Because he is living. The point of knowing Jesus is that he is now alive and he is communicating with us. Jesus was crucified over 2000 years ago, but he was raised from the dead and he is communicating to his people. Let me ask you, what is he saying to you? What has Jesus been saying to you this week? I could sit with you and tell you what Jesus has said to me this week. But I want to ask you the question, what has he said to you this week? It's often sad that when we talk to believers that the extent of God speaking to them or the extent of their personal testimony is only what happened on the day of their salvation. At the point where they were convicted of sin, at the point where they committed their lives to following Jesus, that is the only point that they can talk about. And worse still is that we think there's nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong with God not speaking to us. You know, believing that would be the same as getting married. And whenever somebody says to you, how's your, your married life going? All we do is talk about the wedding day. If there is no communication in a relationship, there is a problem. Let me tell you, not hearing from God is not normal. Of course, I do want to balance this with what we expect to hear. And I love the fact that Jesus works in many areas. Let me explain something to you in my own personal life, or should I say, share with you. Uh, as a family, we regularly obviously talk to Jesus, but we expect him to talk to us. And one of the things we seem to consistently do is lose things. I don't know about you, but we lose things. But we know that Jesus will help us find things. And so the first thing we do, my children do this, we do this. If we lose something, we pray, we talk to Jesus and he will show us where it is. And let me tell you, 100% of the time this works. This morning, uh, just before I came to do this session, um, I'd clean my glasses, but I needed my cleaning cloth to, uh, cloth to stop all the reflection on my glasses. This is just a simple thing, but I'd lost it somewhere. I'd placed it somewhere. So I said, Lord, where is it? And he gave me a picture of my uh, uh, running jogging bottoms that they're in there. I went up and that's where it was. He is a speaking God. He, he cares about the little minutiae. He doesn't just want to speak to us big revelation that we're going to be kings and that we're going to raise the dead. He wants to speak to us about everyday life. And I want to encourage you, allow Jesus to speak to you. Expect Jesus to speak to you. Sit down with a notepad and pen and, and begin to write down what you believe he's saying to you. Yep, you need to test it, but allow him to speak to you. So these dreams that Joseph had were God's word to him. And I want to challenge you this morning to take some time this week and ask, what has God been saying to me? Now, I wonder how Joseph would describe the years that followed. He had a great time with his father who spoiled him and had him his favorite. He didn't have a great time with his brothers. Um, when he became uh, the second in command over Egypt, maybe he would have written in his diary, the glory years. 
But these years where he was sold into slavery and went into prison and so on, perhaps he would have called these the hell years. Sold by his brothers into slavery, sold to Potiphar. Potiphar, um, his wife, falsely accused uh, Joseph, and he was then thrown by Potiphar into prison. And yet in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of being unfairly treated by his brothers, by Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, he held on to integrity. He refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife. He helped those who were in prison whilst he was in prison himself. It's estimated that Joseph's life as a slave uh, and a convict lasted about a decade. So his slavery and his imprisonment in total were about a decade, 10 years. Where do we see Joseph's faith in action? By his commitment to godliness. You know, very often we give up at that point. We don't see God uh, working in the way that we want to. We don't see the results that we would like. And so what do we do? We give up and we throw caution into the wind. I'm sad to say there are those that I knew who once walked with me along with Jesus who have now left that and they've gone into the world. Joseph held on to his integrity. He held on to godliness as a sign that he trusted in God. Joseph had plenty of opportunity to take on the values of those around him. He could have slept with Potiphar's wife. He could have mistreated those in prison. But he did not do that. He allowed his sexuality to be pure. He helped the, the, the prisoners, even those who promised to remember him but forgot him. And yet in the midst of the most trying times, Joseph was a man who helped people. Now, after some 10 years, Joseph's situation was going to change. Now, note this. Joseph's situation was outside of his own ability to change. He had to submit to it. He doesn't become despondent. Where man can do nothing, we know that God can do everything. We need faith because God's plans are humanly unachievable. Joseph could not even have contemplated what those dreams meant. You know, if Joseph knew what those dreams meant, would that have helped him? He could not have worked out those dreams. Years of suffering are needed to prepare the vessel. God can do anything, but we are often not the right kind of vessel. And so God gets to work on us. Let me, I really want to encourage you in this. Never see suffering as punishment. Don't see it as a waste of time. Don't see it as something to get out of as quickly as possible, because very often it is part of God's plan to fulfill his dream for us. So now God sets about bringing things to pass for Joseph. These dreams that he had are about to be fulfilled. Pharaoh has a dream and only God can interpret this dream through Joseph. Joseph is promoted and in one day becomes the second most powerful man in the land. Think of this. A convict in prison a day later is the second in command of the land. We also see how instrumental it was for Joseph to help um, Pharaoh's officials, the two officials that he helped in prison, because it was one of those that reminded Pharaoh of who Joseph was. Joseph was a humble man, 
Certainly at this point, he was a humble man. He attributes his ability to interpret dreams to God. You know, he never took the glory. He didn't say, yes, I can do this. He said, only God can do this. His management of Potiphar's house, which he did exceedingly well, and his management of prison, which he did exceedingly well, these set him up to manage Pharaoh's kingdom. Now, we could end the story here, but it is far from over. God's intention in bringing Joseph to power was not for Joseph's benefit. It was part of God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. You know, very often we want a promise personal to us when God wants to give us a promise that is a multi-generational promise in terms of fulfillment. I believe God wants to send revival, but he needs us to pick up the baton and to run with it as previous generations have handed it on to us. So in this promise, a famine was coming, a famine so severe that even Jacob or Israel as his name now is, and his family would be affected. God set a plan in motion with Joseph all the way back um, in Israel. He saves Israel and all of Egypt from the famine. Now in a position of power, Joseph himself could act corruptly, but he doesn't. You know, Joseph has gone through some real abuse from his brothers uh, through to the slavery in Potiphar's house in prison. And now he's second in command and he could say, right, I'm going to get my own back now. But he does not. I bet Potiphar gulped hard when he heard that Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh. Even with his own brothers, Joseph acts with complete godliness and integrity. Uh, the interpreter of dreams, that is Joseph, understands his own dream. In Genesis 45, verse 44 to 7, we read this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph sees the hand of God in his sufferings. He doesn't blame his brothers, he doesn't hold a grudge, and he does not use his power to wreak uh, or to reap vengeance upon them. In Genesis 50 uh, verse 19 to 21, we find it says, But Joseph said to them, this is his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many people. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. One of the most telling characteristics of Joseph is his soft heart. He went through severe suffering, but that suffering produced a soft heart. And after all the suffering, he still weeps when he sees his brothers who had mistreated him. So what do we conclude about Joseph's life of faith? Well, his life was somewhat different than the ones we've previously looked at.
The other seemed to have a much clearer word directed to them from God. Even though Joseph didn't fully understand the dreams, it was still God's promise and word to him. I'm not sure fully understanding the dream would have helped Joseph anyway. I'm not sure it would have been any benefit to him. You know, if we knew God's plan for our life, we would probably run for it. If we knew we had to go through suffering and difficulty and we had to face this challenge and that challenge, we would leg it. I know I would. And so I sometimes think there is a grace of God in only knowing the next step and not knowing the whole plan. I mean, often we want to know the whole plan, but God doesn't give us to us. It's part of his mercy to us. Why? Because we can't handle it. Would it have helped Joseph to know the journey he needed to take? Here again, we see faith in action. Let me repeat, faith is trusting in God, in his character, in his ability and in his promises. In many ways, the rest does not matter. Victory or death, human success or failure, all are irrelevant. All that matters is fulfilling the will of God. That's the race you and I are on this planet to win. Joseph's life was a fulfillment of God's plan first given to Abraham. At the end of his life, we see Joseph has fully understood this. At the end of his life, he knows the promise is not yet fulfilled. In Genesis 50, 24 to 25, Joseph says this, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up from this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones from this place. He knew the promise of God, but it wasn't fulfilled in his life. He played his part. He finished his race. And now he passes on the baton to the next generation. Joseph was the last patriarch before his family became the nation of Israel or the Israelites. Let me ask you, are you where God wants you to be? It doesn't matter if it's a palace or a dungeon as long as it's the plan of God in your life. I want to say be encouraged. Be encouraged in God's will. We are all part of God's plan in fulfilling his purposes in our generation. Why? So that we can do what God wants to see done and pass the baton uh, to others who will take on the next leg of the journey. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for Joseph. I want to thank you that he is such a tremendous encouragement for us. And I want to pray today. I want to pray that you would help us to hear you. I pray for those watching this morning that think, well, God doesn't speak to me. Lord, I want to pray that they would know you speaking to them. Lord, would you show them how you are speaking to them? Lord, I'm convinced you are speaking, but I pray that they would perceive it. And so, Lord, I pray, would you bless your word today? Would you help us today to fulfill your plans in our generation? In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.